Details on the owner's proposal are emerging, and we try to make sense of pitchers with similar profiles who are being treated differently in drafts. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had the three go-throughs yet. It works great in a fantasy. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball 15 for Wednesday, May 27th. I'm Al Melkier. I am here with Derek Van Riper. DVR, this is the day we've been waiting for for probably the better part of a week. We do finally have some details, at least, on the owner's uh, proposal. Uh, They did present that proposal to the Players Union in terms of uh, a 2020 season. So that presentation was made on Tuesday. And we're getting sort of in dribs and drabs, at least at the time of this recording. Uh, some of the details, uh, I think the really the big development that we didn't really know much about uh, prior prior to Tuesday is that the owners are proposing to pay players a percentage of a prorated salary, but it's on the sliding scale where the lowest paid players are getting, I've seen conflicting reports are either 100% or close to 100% of a prorated salary, and the highest paid players in the game could be getting less than 40% of a prorated salary. So we're really talking about maybe only 20% of their, their full salary. So um, does this make you, um, uh, let me rephrase. I was gonna say, does it make you less optimistic, but uh, the, the players union is not happy reportedly with this. So does this, um, are, are you maintaining some optimism in the light of this report? I, I am because I guess I'm just not surprised this is how negotiations between these two sides tend to go. You know, it's not a case where we should expect Major League Baseball's owners to come up with a thoughtful and well-crafted proposal that is actually competitive and fair. It's sort of like a default negotiating tactic where they begin at the extreme and slowly and gradually work their way towards a center. And I think the mindset there is that they end up getting more concessions that way than taking the, I guess I would say, more friendly approach where you you try to make a competitive offer right away. Uh, So I think if we go a week or 10 days and we have no progress in the right direction, if we're kind of in the same spot when the calendar flips to June that we are right now, then I will be concerned. But Ultimately, I guess I wasn't expecting the rainbow to shoot down from the sky and the the great offer from the owners to come forward quite this quickly. Yeah, no reports of any rainbows. Uh, That's uh, not anything that we've seen. Uh, There have been a, a number of reports also saying that the two sides are pretty far apart on the health and safety measures. So that's another thing that certainly would have to be worked out. And as you, you intimated there, DVR, uh, would have to be worked out pretty quickly. I mean, it's now almost going back a full month where you and I were on this show talking about how, you know, by the end of June, or I'm sorry, um, uh, by the end of May, that the the two sides would really have to have some sort of workable agreement in order for us to have baseball around the 4th of July. Well, here we are. You know, we're getting really close to the end of May. So realistically, they probably do need to have these, uh, this, this gap uh, broached, uh, you know, within a week or so. 
And, um, you know, there's, there's a long way to go there. So, uh, something obviously we'll just have to sit back and, and see, uh, you know, if the, if the owners, uh, do, uh, you know, pull back on this uh, a bit and, uh, and there's, you know, <laughs> hopefully uh, a week from now we can, can be more optimistic uh, than, than we can be right now. Uh, we do have uh, one bit of actual player news. Uh, this coming from uh, Brody Brazil of NBC Sports Bay Area. Daniel Mengden is ready to return, apparently, after not only undergoing elbow surgery in the offseason, but he had two surgeries related to having a tapeworm. Uh, Mengden says he's 95%, but apparently close enough that when, uh, you know, I think even in the, the best case scenario, if, uh, the A's opened up their spring training, Mengden would be in there. Uh, do you think that a healthy Daniel Mengden has any sort of shot to crack the rotation? It's possible. Uh, I think more likely, I mean, Frankie Montes kind of looks like an ace to me. I know he missed half of last season with that PED suspension. I think Sean Manias locked in. Jesus Lazardo obviously has a spot to call his own. I think to begin the season, there's a good chance Mike Fires is in the equation. Chris Bassett makes a lot of sense as a guy that could round it out. AJ Puck, depending on health, would be the sixth guy. So whether they want to use him as a starter or maybe as a multi-inning reliever, that's still up in the air. So they could definitely get by with Mengden as the swingman. They could get by uh, manipulating roles of those guys, doing tandem starts initially. Uh, it's it's definitely one of those things where I'm probably not drafting him in any sort of mixed league, but I think at least for you know AL only sort of formats, Daniel Mengden is at least worthy of a reserve pick, uh, sort of consideration because uh, he would not have been to me worth stashing if the season had started on time. But now with his elbow being pretty close to full health, there's definitely some sort of role for him on this roster, even if he's not initially in the rotation. Well, DVR, I'm very disappointed that you didn't take the opportunity to say that Daniel Mangden is a mustache player. <laughs> I was leaving that for you, Al. And then I, and there I go. <laughs> so, uh, but I do agree with the, uh, the analysis, uh, base have some good depth because I think he could be Mangden could be a, uh, you know, a, a decent starter and a, and a a deep league fantasy option uh, if he had a better opportunity. But uh, I think that's uh, that's pretty much spot on. The other thing, though, as you were talking that I, I was remembering in terms of reading up on what came out of this um, owner's presentation was that uh, I saw at least I don't remember who was reporting it, but in, in multiple places, uh, people suggesting that maybe a, a schedule that's more than 82 games is still on the table and that maybe that's something that, that players would press for. So, that you know that would change the calculus again because somebody in a swingman role like what you were describing, uh, that kind of player might have more more value in that kind of scenario. Yeah, if you get more than eighty two games, that just opens up the window for pitchers to be taken down by various injuries and ailments, and depth becomes a bit more important, of course, as you move into a longer schedule. But I think the main concern I have with Daniel Mengden is that even when he was pitching very well back in 2018, you know, 405 ERA, 112 whip, and even for the handful of starts in 2017 with the 314 ERA and the 105 whip, he's never really missed a lot of bats. So his margin for error is pretty small. He has to end up being at least average in the ratios to not hurt you. And that really limits his appeal 
to being kind of a home streamer or a two-start guy unless we see a big jump in Ks. Yeah, no, that's uh, I think that's right on. Um, so speaking of Daniel Magnin, I'm going to make sort of an, an awkward leap here. Um, I'm going to be talking about Jesus Lazardo this weekend. As you and I talked about on a recent episode, DVR, uh, we are both participating in PitchCon, which is uh, an online fancy baseball conference that's being put together uh, by the folks at PitcherList. Very, very excited about that. And uh, now they've actually posted the schedule. So you should go to PitcherList and check that out. And you should register. Um, it's going to be great. And so, yeah, I'm going to be talking about Jesus Luzardo in the context of players uh, who haven't really gained much consensus, either in terms of projection systems or in terms of the fantasy analyst community or in terms of drafters. So, uh, that, that, that'll be my one little uh, spoiler, I suppose, <laughs> that uh, Luzardo will be one of the players I'm talking about. Can, do you have any spoilers for us? Is there any part of your presentation that you can uh, you know, reel us in with? Yeah, my presentation is called Common Mistakes in StatCast Hitter Analysis. Uh, so I've had a few, few different paths to look back and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, maybe we're not taking these new numbers, this new tool and using it correctly or as effectively as we should. Some of that is the way that the data is presented. Even though I love baseball savant, there are a couple things that are a bit tricky about it. And some of it's just the conclusions that we tend to draw with our analysis when we're looking at hitters from StatCast, uh, you know, focusing on average exit velocity instead of looking at barrel rate, for example. You know, Just thinking about some of the finer points that are sometimes missed when it comes to applying those new stats to how we evaluate hitters. So hopefully people enjoy it. I think PitchCon is going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, shout out to Nick Pollock. He joined us on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast uh, last week, Friday. If people want to listen to it, we had a great conversation with him about a lot of different pitchers on that episode. Uh, yeah, well, great person to talk about pitching with. So uh uh you'll find more of where that came from if you attend PitchCon. So uh, I will... uh and the plug there, at least for now. But um, one pitcher I'm not going to talk about in terms of uh, players that haven't really generated much consensus is John Means. Uh, but he really does fall in that category. So, you know, I want to take the opportunity to talk about him. But in looking into John Means and the really surprisingly good rookie season that he had with the Orioles, you know, I, I saw something in his profile that you know that looked familiar i mean he's been he was a really good contact manager not a lot of walks um not a lot of home runs allowed despite pitching at camden yards and his adp you know struck me as you know for somebody with limited strikeout appeal you know pretty appropriate on fantasy pros he's got a 342 adp his average rank uh, among the um the rankers the industry people that are included on fantasy pros it's 317 so we as an industry seem to like john means a little bit more than the average uh fantasy baseball drafter but it also struck me that there are pitchers that have very similar profiles to john means who we like better as an industry and that people in drafts liked a lot better. Ryan Yarbrough, for example, uh, excellent contact manager, one of the best in baseball, moderate strikeout rate that maybe not even moderate. Maybe that's, that's stretching it a bit. Not a lot of strikeouts, um, not a lot of walks 229 ADP on fantasy pros. So more than a hundred spaces ahead of John means, 
Aaron Savali, 244 ADP, uh, similar profile there. Now, Anibal Sanchez, maybe a higher walk rate than, than the other three, um, but he's more in, in means territory of 339 ADP. So we've got four pitchers with pretty disparate ADPs, disparate uh, ranks by people in the industry, and yet they all seem more or less kind of like the same pitcher to me. So what gives? Part of it is for for Ryan Yarbrough, I mean, he won a ton of games last year um, relative to the number of starts he made, right? Like the, the usage was kind of optimal usage. And... You know, you look at the Ks, you, you look at the ratios, they are pretty similar for the most part. I think the thing that makes John Means different is of those four pitchers, he had the highest home run rate from the group a year ago, and that probably has a lot to do with where he makes his home starts. Having to pitch in Camden Yards uh, gives him the toughest path of those three guys. I think you look at the Orioles as a team that will also struggle to score runs. They will also struggle to protect the leads that uh, they have one means leaves a game. So I think the team context just sort of stands out as bad in almost every way for John means and comparing that to Yarbrough, who I mentioned has the optimal usage comparing that to Sanchez as a rotation member for the defending world series champions, even comparing that to Savali, who's in a Cleveland organization that has done really well developing pitchers over the last decade or so now, uh, I think you can kind of talk yourself into those other three guys as having higher floors, even though the underlying skills are pretty similar across the board. Well, you know, that that's good. I, I wasn't really sure where you're going to land on that. And I had counter arguments ready, you know, um, Sanchez, and you mentioned one of the things about Sanchez. He's the one out of the, uh, the group that is very similar to means in terms of ADP, but you know, his team context is really good for the most part. I mean, actually, uh, Nationals Park is also a difficult park park to pitch in. Um, although I think it's just it doesn't have the same notoriety for whatever reason as Camden Yards. And um, Savali, a very limited track record. And I think you could use that against him. But, you know, when you put that in the context of that, none of these guys is really requiring, you know, that much of an investment, especially in a 12-team league, then maybe it is a question of how, how high is the floor and, and how much risk are you really taking? Yeah, I think you could look at this entire group and if you told me none of them are going to show a significant increase in strikeout rate, I wouldn't push back all that much. I mean, I think of the group, Sivali, just by virtue of being the youngest, maybe is the most interesting because there is still a greater chance that he picks up a little extra velocity or that he refines a, a secondary offering that can help him get more swings and misses. But uh, it is interesting to see that means is, is discounted as he is relative to the group. I mean, there are some things he does pretty well that people might be overlooking. Yeah. And, and that's not a result I was expecting to see either because what I have read and heard in the discussions about means during the, the, this very long off season it has been largely positive, and I've, I've been under the impression that people sort of bought into what he did last year, but this kind of suggests otherwise. I just, you know, I don't hear the same kind of discussion around Aaron Savali, and yet, you know, he's going uh, 100 picks earlier in ADP, although it is kind of interesting in the industry, uh, it's much, much closer. And maybe, so maybe, maybe I'm bringing an industry bias to this because both are kind of in the neighborhood of a average rank of around 300. So I don't know. I, you know, 
I wasn't really quite sure where this discussion was going to go, but what I was left with in looking at this is I almost wonder if there's a certain uh, sort of randomness or arbitrariness to the, the reputations that players get, especially the ones that are in this, you know, the, the sub 200 stuff, you know, below the top 200 overall range where, you know, we, we have these narratives about what their floors are and what their ceilings are and, and it sort of sticks and, and maybe, maybe it's sort of arbitrary. I think to an extent it probably is. And I think people often chase last year's results. I think that's a big part of why Savali's ADP stands out uh, as much as it does in this group. I mean, the ERA was fantastic last year, right? He was under three over 10 different starts, 57 and two thirds innings. Yeah, 234 ERA and a 104 whip. Uh, it, even though it's only 10 starts, it's easy to get kind of sucked in by ratios that are that good. Yeah, no, that's a good point as well. And, you know, Yarbrough's wins, maybe the same thing there as well. So, uh, you know, so, something that we can certainly pick up again, um, you know, just something in a comparison that I found sort of intriguing. Um, DVR, when you were a kid, did you watch any baseball that wasn't a baseball game, like a, you know, like a pregame show or anything like that? That was like must-see TV for you? Mm. There, let's see. So I, I was kind of growing up in the early 90s is when I was watching random TV as a kid and watching things like that. And I, nothing immediately comes to mind, actually. I I think the, I think this week in baseball was on on Saturday mornings, if I'm not mistaken. And it wasn't must-see for me. I absolutely would watch it if I was just kind of watching cartoons or something else and it came on. I was happy to see it. But I was more likely to be outside you know, trying to play baseball or play other sports with my friends <laughs> than, than uh, camping out waiting for, for a baseball show to come on. I watched the Braves a lot because this was, you know, again, the early mid-90s. You couldn't watch every team anytime you wanted through, uh, you know, at bat. People didn't have satellite dishes in mass back then. So it was either Tigers, Braves, or Cubs growing up in West Michigan. And I watched a lot of Braves back then. Yeah, well, yeah, the the Cubs and Braves, you could count on watching them pretty much anywhere, anywhere in the country uh, at that that point. Um, and yeah, no, I was a big Twib watcher when I was a kid, and I, I think I was just a, a, maybe born a little too early for the baseball bunch. Uh, and there's a piece in the Athletic now uh, on the baseball bunch, and there's actually a quiz with it. I would do. I haven't done the quiz yet. I would probably do terribly on it because I do remember seeing it a few times. I think maybe during rain delays, but. Um, yeah, I wasn't really familiar with it, but if you're of the generation that watched the baseball bunch, we've got a quiz for you on the athletic uh, and a, an article to go with it. The baseball bunch quiz. We've got a hunch. You'll love this trivia challenge by uh, Dave Nian Metz. And uh, I think I actually just mispronounced that name. So I apologize to Dave. Um, but anyways, really cool piece. And, you know, if you're better informed on that show than I am, you should, you should take the quiz. So uh, on that note, we're going to wrap things up for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off of a subscription. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. The whole site is yours. Uh, everything on the site is a part of the subscription. Uh, you can also try out a 90-day free trial. Uh, either way, uh, we hope you give it a uh, 
Give it a look if you aren't already a subscriber. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we will be back with you on Thursday. Thursday.